Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Because of cell phones and texting, our lives are full of abbreviations. We use them all the time. We know hundreds of them now. LOL, JK, BTW, DIY, IDK, all sorts of different abbreviations. But I want to share with you my favorite modern abbreviation. And if you know it, you can call out what it means. It's this, T-L-D-R. What does that mean? Too long, didn't read. I love that because <laughs> it's like exactly our culture, right? Like this is, this is so us. My favorite part about it is the semicolon. Like <laughs> you're like, I'm not gonna take the time to read this whole thing or even type out full words, but I will flip over to the alternative keyboard and use the punctuation mark I don't even use in my real life. Like I love that. It's a way of saying, I know how to read complex sentences, I'm just choosing not to. (laughs) Too long, didn't read. The saddest part about it is we all know the feeling, right? Like we know why you need that abbreviation. Uh, News sources have actually over, you know, the last decade or so, they've uh, written shorter and shorter articles with shorter and shorter graph paragraph lengths. So like, you know, news sources are just getting quicker and quicker to read so much to the point where they've embraced TLDR and they just put bullet point summaries at the tops of their articles. You notice this? But let's be honest. Sometimes I look at those bullet points and I'm like, that's a lot. I don't, I don't know. I just kind of skim those sorts of things. You know, you, you click on something and you're like, ah, oh, I gotta scroll two, three times to finish this. It's like, couldn't someone have just put this in a meme? This would be so much faster, okay? What, what's going on here? The, the issue here, I think, is not we need to read longer things. That, that, that might be good for us, but the, the thing that concerns me is not the length, but the depth, the depth. It, it has become harder and harder to give sustained attention to anything, to, to think and attend about something with any uh, amount of depth. There's always another task, there's always another post, another video. If you're bored, there's something new just to click away. And when everything wants your attention, nothing really gets all your attention. And as a result, we we live distracted lives, just kind of skimming along the surface of things. And this affects a lot of different areas of life, but it's especially devastating for our spiritual lives. It's really, really difficult. I actually think it's almost impossible to pray with a phone in your pocket. Or when you sit down and read, you realize that your Bible is on the same device that also has your email and your podcasts and Candy Crush and Instagram and everything else you could be doing right now. That even when you don't have a device in the room, if you're like me, you sit down, it's a quiet moment, and your mind is like a trampoline park, and your thoughts are like a six-year-old birthday party. You just can't get them to sit still. You experience this. You're not alone. You're not alone. But I actually think it's one of the reasons why so many of us feel spiritually stuck. But here's the good news. There is another way. Today, I want to offer you an alternative to skimming along the spiritual surface. We're continuing in our series, The Rhythms of the Soul. And here's the premise. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to make choices about what you let shape you. You have to choose habits, what we call spiritual disciplines, that will help us resist the ways the modern world misshapes us. And each of these spiritual disciplines, it's a way of saying, I want God's grace. 
I want God's truth. I want God's story to be the thing that is shaping who I become rather than being shaped by the pressures of the world around us. These are the rhythms that keep us walking and stepped with God's grace rather than dancing to the tune of the world. And the rhythm we're talking about today is called Bible meditation. Bible meditation. Uh, Our passage today is in Psalm 119. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, The book of Psalms is easy to find. It's right smack in the middle. And Psalm 119 is also easy to find because it's the longest psalm. It's actually the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, It's 176 verses long. And Psalm 119 is actually a song. It was sung in public worship. How would you like to sing a song that's 176 verses long? Uh, It's really long. The amazing thing about it is this. It is the entire thing is about Scripture itself. It is a song of celebration about the Word of God. Now, this is not a common theme for modern worship songs. Uh, In fact, our worship team has found it so difficult to find songs about Scripture, we had to write our own. So uh, the songs we're singing in our service today were written by our worship pastors because when we see the Psalms thanking God for God's Word, we figured that's something we ought to incorporate into our worship. Now, the reason this Psalm is so long is that it actually has 22 stanzas, And there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each one of the stanzas, all of the lines, they start with the same letter in Hebrew. So you're actually gonna see that at the top of the section we're looking at today, it tells the Hebrew letter. So we're gonna start in verse 97, and we're gonna read an entire stanza. And the entire stanza starts with the Hebrew letter mem. But I'm gonna read it in English, so you won't notice that, but figure that would uh, settle some curiosity about things here. Starts like this. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me, making me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I may obey your word. I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been around Christ Community for a while, you have probably heard us mention Bible Savvy. as our church-wide Bible reading plan, and it's also a method of studying the Bible that we like to teach people. And we try to summarize this method with a handy acronym that is COMMA, C-O-M-M-A. A. And we're going to read what that stands for. I'm going to put the, the meaning of this acronym on the screen here, and we're going to read it together, all right? So let's read it. Context, observation, message, meditation, application. And I love the comma method. I went to school for about seven years to learn how to study the Bible, and then I came here to the church, and I realized most of what I learned in that seven years is summed up in those five words. It's really, really cool. Uh, And what's amazing about it is this is not something you actually have to go to school to figure out. Anybody can learn to use this method to really understand the Bible and not just understand it, but apply it to your life so that your life actually changes. It's really cool. Now, uh, I'm not gonna do a deep dive into how the common method works. We're actually just gonna look at one of those words today. But if you wanna know more about how to do this, you go to biblesavvy.com. We got lots of resources uh, about how to get started with this. Now, one of those five words is a little bit newer than the others. Uh, we just added it in the last year. Uh, it, used to be called, it used to be called the COMA method, which is the worst acronym for reading the Bible. Like, whoever came up with that, I have no idea what they're thinking. <coughs> Pastor Jim. 
But we fixed it, we fixed it. We added another M, uh, the M for meditation. Now, we didn't just add that to fix the acronym. It's a crucial step in moving from the Bible to your life, and here's why. Because the first three steps, looking at the context and making observations and seeing what the message of the text is, they're all about figuring out what, what the Bible means, making sure you're not just making things up on your own, you know, these are my ideas. You're saying, what does the Bible have to say? And the last step, A, application, is about what you do with that. These are really important. But what was missing was, and although it just was kind of implied, it just wasn't explicitly stated, was that there's a step in between, which is a step of motivation, the heart change that makes you actually want to act on the things you learn from Scripture. So if you think of it this way, the first three steps are about knowing the right things. The last step is about doing the right things. But meditation is about wanting the right things. You can know that broccoli is good for you. You can even eat your broccoli, but it's gonna be a lot better if you learn to delight in and enjoy and desire broccoli. This is what Bible meditation does for us. But what exactly do we mean by Bible meditation? What is Bible meditation? You ever go to a nice restaurant, like an expensive restaurant and order dessert? Okay, so they bring it out. It's just beautiful, you know? It's on this big plate, and it's got like, you know, stuff drizzled all over it, and it's displayed. But you actually look at the portion, and it's like, itty-bitty little thing, right? Like, big plate, small thing. And I, you sit there, and you're like, okay, if I eat this the way I normally eat dessert, that's like three, four, max five bites, and it's gone. And like, doing the math in your head, that's like, it's like $3 a bite. Like, ugh. Like, I could go home, and I could buy like a gallon of ice cream for this, so... What am I doing here, okay? So how do you approach this? You, you start off and you're like, instead of taking your normal size bite, you take a little bite. And you don't even put it in your mouth. At first you smell it. You're like, I'm getting as much out of this as I can, right? You know? And then when you finally put it in, you don't swallow too fast. You're like, mm. you hold it in your mouth. Your friend starts a conversation. You're like, shh, 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 shh. I'm concentrating. You savor all of the flavors, right? What, what happens when you actually do this? you find out you enjoyed the dessert more than you normally would. Why? Because you're actually paying attention. You're savoring it all. This is what Bible meditation is like. Uh, Bible meditation involves three things. First, you slow down. You slow down. It, usually you pick a smaller portion of scripture and you linger over it for a while. If you're following along in the Bible Savvy reading plan, you know that most of the time we're reading a chapter, maybe two chapters of the Bible each day, which is not, it doesn't take too long to read that, but there's often more in that section than you can really digest and focus on in a day. And so what helps is if you pick just one of the things you observed in it and focus on that. It might be a short paragraph or a single verse or even a single word, and you nibble on it, you savor it, drawing out all the flavor you can. You slow down, but you also open up, you open up. What I mean by this is you engage more than just your brain, okay? Like you think about it, but you do more than think about what the text means. You open up your emotions and your imagination and your desires and you say, I want this to affect how I feel and what I want. In a lot of ways, meditation is when you move from examining the passage to letting the passage examine you. You open yourself up and you let it affect you deeply. And as you do that, you don't just uh, slow down and open up, you listen in, you listen in. This is perhaps the most crucial part of Bible meditation because uh, we believe that this book is the word of God, that the words you find here are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, these are words that were written by human authors in a human style with uh, you know, different uh, uh, styles and personalities. But what we have here 
is what God intended us to have. The Holy Spirit made sure the message we got is the message he wants us to hear. And because of that, when we read these words, we know God is speaking to us. And not just in some broad historical sense of, you know, I I heard someone recently say, oh, I've been reading uh, some of the sermons of Martin Luther King Jr. and they've been speaking to me. Or I have heard people say, you know, that song really speaks to me. And that's wonderful. But with the Bible, it goes one step further than that. Not just speaking to you in a general sense, but we believe that the same God, the same spirit who inspired the words on these pages also lives in each person who has surrendered to Jesus. And so the spirit who wrote this doesn't just speak to us generally through the message of scripture. He speaks to us in particular to our situations and our heart and our sin and our challenges and our needs in particular. As we read God's word, he applies it directly to us in our hearts. We listen in, not just to say, okay, when we're studying the passage, we say, what does this passage say? But then with meditation, we say, what does this passage say to me? That the psalmist in verse 102 says, I've not departed from your laws for you yourself, you yourself have taught me. It's a personal tutoring session from the Holy Spirit. In meditation, we slow down, we open up, and we listen in to what God has to say to us here and now. Now, that's what Bible meditation is, but what Psalm 119 does is it highlights the benefits of Bible meditation. Let let, let me point out three. Uh, First is here, if you look at verse 98, look at verse 98, it says this. It says, "I uh, I, I study your word and it makes me wiser than my enemies. Verse 99 says, I have more insight than all my teachers. Verse 100 says, I have more understanding than the elders. What what does Bible meditation do? It moves us from shallow to wise, from shallow to wise. In meditation, we go deeper. It's a deliberate choice not to skim along the surface, but to plumb the depths. It it turns book knowledge and experience into true insight. We slow down so that we see things that aren't obvious and make connections that we didn't expect. It moves us from shallow to wise. It also moves us from distracted to delighted. Look at that opening verse there. It says, oh, how I love, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Now, when the psalmist says love, you gotta ask, what what do we mean by love? Because you can use that in a lot of different ways. Like, I love salsa, I love my children. On most days, not in the same way, you know? Like, it can mean a lot of different things. Like, is this, is this the kind of love that you have, you know, like for, you know, all your family members, you got, you know, that crazy uncle, you're like, well, technically I love him, he's part of the family, but doesn't mean I want to hang out with him too much, you know, like, and Uncle Chuck, I know you might hear this, I'm talking about one of those other guys, okay, it's okay. In what way does a psalmist love God's word? Well, you look down at verse 103 and it says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. There's a delight here. This is not the only way the psalmist expresses this. Uh, Throughout the psalm, he says things like this. My soul is consumed with longing for your law at all times. At midnight, in the middle of the night, I rise up to give you thanks for your righteous laws. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. I open my mouth and pant, pant, longing for your commands. Some of these are so over the top that it's almost ridiculous. It feels like a pathological obsession with God's word. How did this happen? I I don't think it's because the psalmist just sort of naturally had a hunger for God's word. I don't think they just woke up one day and it was like, oh, I just, I gotta have the Bible. I actually think what happened is the practice of meditation actually awakened the appetite for more of God's word. 
Sometimes we think, you know, if I enjoyed the Bible more, I'd spend more time in the Bible. But I actually think it's the reverse. We've got to say, when I spend more time in the Bible, I enjoy it more. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. There's kind of a side effect to this. We don't just move from distracted to delighted about God's word. I think we make that move in other areas of our life when we start practicing Bible meditation. Like when we get good at attending to what God is doing and what God is saying in his word, we also start to pay better attention to the other things in our lives. We start to attend to what God is doing, what God has given in the other areas of our life. We're less distracted by the trivial things and we're more apt to notice this good gift of God in front of us. So we enjoy much more of our life. We go from distracted to delighted. Bible meditation also moves us from stuck to growing, from stuck to growing. Notice how often in these verses, the psalmist refers to God's word as commands, statutes, precepts, laws, talks about obeying them. This book is actually changing their life. This book is a book that should direct your behavior, should guide what you do. If you are being impacted by scripture, you aren't just gonna have new thoughts, you're gonna have new actions. The, the psalmist uses a, a common, common biblical metaphor for life, talking about life as a journey, and that there are different lifestyles, different choices that are different paths, some good, some bad. And so verse 101, it says, I have kept my feet from every evil path that I might obey your word. Verse 104 says, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. You find yourself going down the same old paths over and over again. Paths that lead nowhere good. Places you know you don't wanna go, but for some reason you keep making that turn, you keep going down that path. Why do you do that? I actually think that Bible meditation, not just Bible reading, you know, check it off the list, but actually meditating on scripture it's one of the keys to not going down the same old paths over and over and over again. Meditation moves us from stuck to growing. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, well, that's all well and good, but there's still some hesitation in your heart. There, there, there's some part of you that, that is thinking, I don't know about this meditation thing. So I wanna address the hesitation about Bible meditation. In particular, I want to address two different objections that people have to it. First comes up simply with the word meditation. People hear that and they're like, hang on a second, like, isn't that like a, like a Buddhist thing or, or a Hindu thing or like a new age thing? Like, is that, is that really a, a Christian thing? Like, are we dabbling in something here that maybe we shouldn't? Like, that's not a good idea. And this is a really wise question because all throughout the Bible, we are warned, don't mix following God with other religions. It's all throughout the pages of scripture. Don't put Christianity in a blender with other spiritualities and make some sort of, you know, Jesus Buddha smoothie. It's not good for you. But it's not as simple as saying, well, uh, other religions use the word meditation, so we shouldn't do it. Because when people use the word meditation in our culture, they mean a huge range of things, a huge range of things. Sometimes people talk about meditation uh, as simply as sort of kind of breathing techniques, sort of things that help you calm down or focus. And, and the reality is these sorts of practices are very spiritually neutral. Uh, they can actually be really helpful for mental health things. And uh, as someone who experiences anxiety and depression, I found benefit from some of these. Other times, though, when people use the word meditation, they're talking about something where they're trying to be in touch with spiritual realities other than Jesus. And these are not spiritually neutral practices. They come with a worldview. They come with a theology. They're spiritually risky because not all spiritual realities are good guys. If they're not named Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, they're probably on the other team. And you don't want to be in touch with them. You don't want to mess with them. But Bible meditation is different from both of these things. 
Bible meditation is not about emptying your mind of thought. It's not about getting in touch with your inner divinity. It's not about experiencing oneness with the universe, which might be goals in other religions. Biblical meditation is about letting God's word fill your heart and mind so you can clearly hear his voice. It's about communing with God's spirit, listening to his word as he speaks to you. The other thing you gotta realize is biblical meditation is not some new thing that Christians just sort of figured out. It wasn't like, hey, we kind of ran across these other religions. They got this really cool thing. They call it meditation. Maybe we should come up with our own version, you know? Like, if everybody's serving the chicken sandwich, we should have a chicken sandwich kind of thing. Like, it's not like that. Biblical meditation is ancient. This is something you go back and look at the great heroes of the faith. St. Augustine, St. Teresa, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. They all meditated on scripture. They had never encountered Buddhists or Hindus or uh, people of these other faiths. They just got this from the Bible. They saw the commands, meditate on God's word, and they did it. Now, the other hesitation that people have about meditation is that it sort of feels a little smushy, okay? So it feels a little subjective, and there are people of certain dispositions, certain personalities, I tend to be on this side of the spectrum of things, where it just feels a little weird to engage in this side of things. And maybe even a little iffy, you know? You don't want people kind of sitting around with God's word just saying, well, I feel like it's saying this. I feel like this is what it's about. Because the Bible can't just mean whatever you feel like it says. We need to be responsible in how we interpret scripture. And I think this is the genius of including meditation in a process like comma. Because when you pay attention to the context and you make real observations, you ground the message of scripture in what the Bible actually says. There's objective meaning to what the Bible says. But that doesn't mean we don't need the subjective side too. I especially think this is important for folks who kind of fall on the side of things where you're like, I love logic. I like information, I like data. I like things that are true or false. Especially those of us who are on that side need the subjective side of things. It's not enough just to have true ideas or right answers. We've gotta let those truths uh, sink into our hearts and move us deeply. I heard a story about a 92-year-old man who married an 82-year-old woman but they hadn't seen each other for over 60 years. They met when they were younger, but then finally got married uh, at the end of their life. Their names were Howard and Cynthia. Now, Howard and Cynthia had worked together in a geology lab in 1950. There was one summer, they were young adults, and they were working at this geology lab, internship kind of thing. And during that time, Howard had fallen hard for Cynthia. He had this huge crush, he was in love with her, but it never went anywhere, because she had a boyfriend. So they spent the summer and they enjoyed their time there. Uh, The team on this geology lab, uh, they actually kind of came up with kind of a fun way to sort of uh, pass jokes and notes to each other. They came up with this cipher, this code. And so the people on this team, they would be passing notes to each other and they would decode it. And it was kind of a fun thing they did all summer long. But at the end of the summer, uh, Howard and Cynthia, they go their separate ways. They live their separate lives for decades at a time. But then in 2012, Howard runs across Cynthia again. And and after all of this time, those feelings from 1950 came bubbling up again, and he realized, I still kinda like her. So he takes a risk, and he writes her a love note. But he doesn't just give her, you know, kind of a a card or something, he actually writes out the note in in a secret code that they had used back in the lab, the one that all their, their friends were using. And he sends it to Cynthia. Now, Cynthia has a choice at this point, right? Like, she, how is she going to take this note? Well, one approach she could take is, hey, this is a puzzle, right? I get to solve this puzzle, figure out what it says. 
And so she puts her intellect and the right tools and all of the right process and decodes it. And finally, she gets to the end and she's like, <laughs> I figured it out. The answer to the puzzle is, I never stopped loving you. Oh, that's great. Glad I figured that out. I'm done. That wouldn't do justice to that note at all, would it? No, she's got to realize this is a note from a particular person addressing her, saying, I love you. And she's got to let that message sink into her and she's got to say, what do I feel about that? How do I respond to that? How does that move me? What am I going to do with this? Now, of course, she could never get to that point if she didn't go through the proper process of saying, what does this mean? What does it say? She can't just look at the code and be like, well, I sort of feel like it probably means. She, she can't do that. She's got to know what it says. But she cannot stop there. She, she's got to move to the place where it affects her. This is what Bible meditation does. You cannot divorce it from careful interpretation of Scripture, but you cannot stop just once you know the right answer uh, either. You've got to let it move you. But we've got to get to the question of, how do you actually do this? Let's talk about the methods of Bible meditation. There are lots of ways to do this. I'm going to share just three simple ones that I use all the time. Uh, the first is the easiest, and it is simply uh, kind of what you might call praying the passage. You pray the passage. Uh, I learned this from a short little book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. Super simple technique. Essentially what you do is as you read the passage, whatever it prompts you to pray about, you pray about it. Mind-blowing, right? Okay, so the way it would work with this, this passage, the opening line in, uh, in this section says, oh, how I love your law. So how might you pray in response to that? You might, might say something like, God, I do love the Bible. I'm really thankful that you speak to us. Or you might say, God, I, I know that I don't love the Bible the way I should. I'm sorry for ignoring it and neglecting it, treating it like a burden. God, help me to love the Bible more. Give me a desire for your word. Or you might pray for other people. God, not just me, but, but give uh, my, my, my children, give my friend, give my brother, give my sister a desire for your word. Give my neighbor who doesn't even know you yet a, a desire to want to know your word. And you, you just pray in response. You might even zero in on just one word. I love your law, your law. God, God, honestly, when I look at your commands, sometimes it's hard to want to obey. Give me a desire, a delight in obedience to your law. And when you run out of things to pray about that one line, you just move to the next line. You go through it and you pray in response to scripture. Super simple. But I'm telling you, it will revolutionize your prayer life. Because instead of coming up with your own things of what should I pray about? I don't know, my mind's wandering. You're guided by God's word responding to his speech to you. And you won't run out of things to pray. And as you pray, the values, the, 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 the beauty of God's word will be shaping you. Here's a second way to meditate. This one will stretch some of you. This one is what we call imaginative reading. Imaginative reading. Uh, this is great for narrative passages. And if you want to try it, I'd recommend starting with a, a story about Jesus in the Gospels. So after you've kind of studied the passage a little bit, you looked at the context and the observations and all of that, take some time to actually imagine what would it be like to be there. You picture it, you picture the whole scene. You say, okay, what would it be like to be on the hillside when Jesus fed the 5,000? So you picture the crowd, and you see the grass, and you, you, you picture Jesus and his disciples talking about something, and you imagine the clothes that people were wearing, the expressions on their faces or the tone of their voice. You, you, you imagine the, the, the feel of the bread as it's being passed around, and uh, the, as you look around at people realizing that this bread isn't, it, it's, it, there's more, there's more. And when it dawns on the crowd that there's a miracle happening, you say, what would it look like? What would it feel like to be there? 
And as you do this, you ask the questions of all of your senses. What would I see? What would I hear? What would I feel? What would I smell? What would I taste? Sometimes the best way to do this is just pick a character in the story and imagine it from their perspective and you dwell in it. How many of you have seen the TV series, The Chosen? It's about the life of Jesus, okay? I have not, all right? Um, But based on the number of people who every single week come to me in the Welcome Center and say, have you seen The Chosen yet? I'm like, oh, I probably should see this. Two of those people are my mother and Pastor Jim, okay? So when your mom and your pastor say, you should check this out, you should probably do it. So I'll get to that soon, all right? But here's the thing that people keep saying about it. They're, They're like, look, it's not cheesy. It's not mediocre Christian stuff. It's actually good. But here's what I love about it. It makes me realize that these were real people in a real place. They had real feelings, real personalities. It makes the whole thing, I knew it was real events, but I feel that it's real. It's more than just when I skim over the passage. I actually understand Nicodemus and Mary Magdalene and and Peter, they're all real. This is what imaginative reading of scripture helps you do. It helps you respond to scripture stories as if they really happened, because they really did. Because think about it, if you were there with Jesus when he was baptized, when he cleared the temple, when he uh, he walked on water, when the sinful woman washed his feet, when he hung on the cross, when the tomb was empty, you would have felt something, right? You would have reacted in some way. It would have moved you. And so we've got to engage in scripture to the level where it actually starts to do that here and now. Now, here's a third way to meditate. And this is probably the most stretching for some of you. Uh, I'm gonna call it repeat and listen. Repeat and listen. Sometimes this goes by a Latin name, Lexio Divina, which makes it sound super mysterious and kind of weird, but it's not. It's actually really simple. What you do is you simply read the passage of Scripture several times slowly, usually three or four times. And each time you do it, you allow God to bring to your attention some detail in the passage. And as he draws your attention to that detail, you begin to ponder it, pray about it. And you listen in, you listen in for what God might be saying to you through that aspect of the text. It's almost like reading the Bible with God looking over your shoulder saying, hey, you see that? You wonder why I put that in there? You know why I want you to see that? Let me, let me tell you about that. And so here's what I want us to do. I actually want us to try this approach to meditating on scripture. I actually asked our associate pastor at the Aurora campus, Diana Shiflett, if she would lead us in a time of Bible meditation using this approach. So she actually made a video to guide all of us through that, this repeat and listen approach, and so we're gonna try it. So I'm gonna just open with a simple word of prayer, and then we'll go through this process together. So go ahead and hold out your hands like this. God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us through your word. Amen. Today, I'm gonna lead us in a meditation on scripture together. We are gonna look at Psalm 119, verse 103. I find it helpful to open up my Bible or to open it up on my device as I do meditating on scripture, even if I'm doing it auditory so that I can um, see the words as well as hear the words. I'm gonna read through the same passage of scripture three different times, and each time I do that, I will guide us through how we're gonna meditate on on that. passage of scripture. First time I read it, I want you to listen for a word or a phrase that jumps out at you. A word or a phrase. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
as that word or phrase jumped out of you at you i want you to just underline that in in your bible or maybe if you are taking notes this this day um, you could just write down the uh, word in your notes now we're gonna do one more thing to uh, acknowledge this word or phrase. We're actually all going to say it out loud, which might feel a little bit weird. Um, some of you are in a space all by yourself and some of you are in a space with lots of other people. Either way, um, it might feel a little weird, but we're gonna do it all together. And I'm gonna count to three and then we're just gonna say it out loud. You can mumble it, you can whisper it, or you can say it in a, in a normal level. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, good job. All right. Now that we have our word or phrase, I'm gonna give you a, a moment to allow an image to come to mind. So as I read the passage of scripture again, allow an image to come to mind. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. Okay, now that you have an image, I want you to engage with it a little bit. Maybe it becomes animated or maybe you use your five senses to engage with it. You can see it, but can you reach out and touch it? What does it feel like? What does it taste like or smell like or sound like? Allow yourself to engage with that image. As I lead us in this last time of reading it, I want you to see if, if God wants to invite you to something or wants to teach you something or say something to you from this passage. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What did God teach you today? What did he invite you to? Um, some of you might've felt like there was something really significant that he taught you. So go ahead and write that down if you, if you have a way to do that today. Um, or maybe you tell somebody about it right after worship, what God told you as we were, we were meditating on the Word of God. And for some of you, maybe it was just a new way of learning how to meditate on Scripture or practicing together. Either way, it's very good to be meditating on the Word of God together. Hey, some of you are wondering, you haven't been there? Yes, that is what our Aurora campus looks like. No, it does not. <laughs> that wasn't the Aurora campus. How was that for you? What was that experience like? Now, for some of you, that was probably really cool. You're like, wow, I, I never engaged in scripture that way. Or that was a meaningful moment. God brought things to mind. He pointed out things. I feel like he was speaking to me. And that, that's really powerful. I know that as I was, you know, we were filming this, I was there and the things I, that came to mind, you know, the, the word was, was taste. I'm thinking about that, you know, what, what does it mean? Not, not just to think about, but to actually experience, to savor, to taste God's word, you know, to have the, the experience of it, not the ideas about it. And the image that came to mind, in spite of all the honey and sweetness image, the image that came to mind 
was me biting into a big, juicy cheeseburger, you know? Like one that's just like off the grill and it's just dripping, you know? There's that experience of abundance. And so as, as God is speaking to me, I'm hearing him say, this is, this is what you should expect and desire from my word, that it is so overflowing and juicy and good and delightful that you can taste it. Now, that was a meaningful thing for me. Not every time I do this, is it that, you know, direct or profound? Uh, and for you, you might have gone through this and said, okay, well, I guess, I guess it was okay. I don't know what the big deal about it was. But here's the thing. It, that was a little bit on the short side, okay? We only gave you about 10 or 15 seconds each reading. Uh, and, and usually, you know, you don't have all the explanation. You're not thinking about how to do this the whole time. And you spend a little bit more time kind of dwelling on things. So I would uh, encourage you to take this more as a sampler, you know, an example of how to do this if you want to try this on your own. Now, I will tell you, whatever approach you use to Bible meditation, uh, it will probably take you a little bit to sort of get in the flow of things, okay? The first few times you do it, you might feel a little awkward, even a little self-conscious, even if you're alone, you know? You're like, am I doing this right? Is it supposed to feel this way, you know? It's okay, you'll get in the groove, you'll figure it out. What I'd encourage you to do is uh, try whatever approach you take daily for at least a week before you decide what to think of it. Now, you may get to the end of that time and say, you know, I don't think this was doing it for me. I'd encourage you to try one of the other approaches. So maybe you tried this kind of repeat and listen sort of thing, but you say, well, maybe I'll, I'll try just praying scripture or I'll do some of the imaginative reading and, and, and figure out what that is. I will tell you from personal experience, working these approaches to biblical meditation as a regular part of your life is profoundly life-changing, deep impact, deep impact. Because here's the thing, there is power, power in Bible meditation. The power of Bible meditation is that it cuts through the noise of the world. We, we get a lot of messages every single day about what we need to be, and what will make us happy, and what we have to do, and what we need to have, and all of these things. And with all of this noise, we're so distracted, we're skimming over the surface, we have no time to grow wise, and our, role, our souls are restless and dry. What we need is to hear the voice of God, you know the story of the burning bush. The story is Moses is tending a flock of sheep and he's walking around this mountain and he sees this bush in the distance that's on fire. But it doesn't seem to be burning up. It's, it just keeps going and going and he's curious about it. And when he turns aside, when he slows down and pays attention, he hears the voice of God say, Moses, Moses. And God speaks to him directly, addresses him by name. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, he likes to say that the goal of Bible meditation is for the Bible to become the burning bush. And you hear God address you by name. Judy, Judy, Steve, Steve, Brenda, Brenda. You hear him call your name. We need to hear the voice of God. Because he is the one voice. His voice is the one voice that you know will not lie to you. The one voice you know is not trying to manipulate you. The, the one voice who speaks life. The voice that offers wisdom and guidance. The voice that reminds you when you forget who you are and who he is and what he has done for you. We need, we need to hear the voice of God. Will you slow down and open up and listen in? Let's pray. God, I, I wanna ask that you would give us delight in your word, that it really would be sweet to our taste, 
delicious and satisfying and nourishing. When we talk about the Bible, it's our, our daily bread, living on the word of God, that that would be a, a reality that we know. God, I pray for each person here, each person in our church, God, that you would give us a hunger, an appetite, a craving for your word, that we would love it and enjoy it because we hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.